Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 38, headlined by Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker in a great light heavyweight title fight, or not title fight, main event fight, sorry, five rounds. Very much looking forward to this fight card. Uh, a ton of entertaining cards. Not the biggest name value, per se, but we should have a ton of entertainment provided to us by these fighters that are going to go out there and uh, put on a damn good performance hopefully uh we see this morning we did obviously have a very unfortunate weight miss with aspen lad um missed by one pound uh and then uh it looks like macy kiasan was actually the one that decided not to go on with the fight so interesting to see if they rebook those two together but we did lose one fight earlier this morning but somebody I actually wanted to get thoughts on regarding that is is my is my guest uh, I, i've been bringing you guys nothing but fire guests over the last couple of weeks here and one thing i kind of wanted to hone in on was the mma coaching side of stuff so how could i not do this type of show and not bring on the 2020 mma coach of the year according to mma junkie i believe it is but still nonetheless we got my guy eric nixick in the house headmaster over there at extreme couture eric how's it going brother doing well brother how are you I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I I have this like this mission that I'm on to try to get the best minds in terms of coaching on this type of show, just to see what kind of uh, different angles and perspectives we can get on betting MMA and all that type of stuff, which is a booming industry at this point in time. Like month by month, a new state uh, legalizes gambling, and I'm sure you see it with your own eyes over there being in Vegas. That gambling is just starting to blow up, especially with the MMA community. So uh, I see a lot of people, you know, hitting up other analysts and other predictors and stuff. I'm like, I want to go for the goods. I want to go for the coaches and you you are definitely on the short list of guys that i wanted to get on here so i'm glad that you're carving out some time on this friday evening for myself but i'll just start off with this question right off the bat the aspen lad missed this morning but what are your thoughts on that i'm not sure if you saw the video of her weighing in or anything like well, what's what's your whole what do you think about that weight cutting situation there you know it's it's tough especially when uh when it comes to females because you know i, I know aspen and i know her coach jim west really well they're stand-up individuals um, you know, I know how, how heartbroken she was when Macy, uh, pulled out of the last fight and, you know, it was, it was said it was an injury, but, you know, from, from their understanding and estimation, it was because Macy was heavy and, the, and she was going to miss weight. So, um, unfortunately, I think this is something that we deal with quite a bit when it comes to female fighters and, and, and women on that menstruation cycle and what it does. And, and to be quite honest with you, I feel like. Uh, there should be like a, like a pound allowance. There should be something if you can prove um, because man, they, 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 these women put their bodies through so much hell. Um, but you know, then you look at OGs like Warren Murphy, this woman's never miss weight, you know, and, and she still exactly. has the same deck of cards. And so it, it's, it's hard because you, you want to be empathetic to the situation but then there's also a group of females who've never missed and never had one problem making the weight, no matter what their circumstances are either. So, um, but knowing, knowing Aspen and Jim, uh, I feel like this has been something for Aspen that has been an issue for her in the past, you know? So, um, you know, unfortunately, man, it's just, it's just a crap situation because I was actually looking forward to that fight. She's a stand up girl and um, you know, hopefully it's something they can work out and she can come back healthy next time. 
Yeah, I see a lot of people pointing that she should go up to 145 pounds. If I'm not mistaken, that was the second time she ever missed weight inside the UFC. Let's give her like a, you know, strike one, strike two, strike three type of thing. Let's give her one more shot at 135 pounds. Because let's be honest, Eric, there is no 145 pounds women's division, right? Yeah, I'd actually talked to Jim about that before, um, about her. He called me and asked me what he, what my thoughts were on the weight stuff. And, you know, it's 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 obviously a clear path for Aspen if that was something she wanted to do to get to the title. But in that scenario, it just really doesn't make sense, you know, for her to move up and just go fight, go fight uh, Amanda, you know? Yeah, it's literally like Amanda, they used to have Megan. I, I don't believe Megan's in the UFC anymore. Oh, sorry. Accidentally booted you out there. Uh, but yeah, not, non-existent 145 pound division. Before we actually get into the card here, there is one thing that I kind of want to pick your brain about. I believe you are an extreme couture lifer. You've been there pretty much from the jump. Uh, famous and uh you know very heralded late sean Tompkins actually moved down there to do some uh training or anything with him i yeah I, I was kind of close with the adrenaline team like after sean passed away but obviously i was a big fan of his before that as well is there any type of you know little tidbit or story that you would love to share about sean or any type of experience that you had with him he was just, he was wild bro he was my one of the most the, the most energetic great guys to be around um no bullshit. You know, he didn't, he didn't pull any punches when it came to, if you weren't training the right way, uh, he didn't pull any punches in the corner. You know, he would tell guys the way he, the way it was. And, and I think a lot of the, the things I've learned about cornering fights and being straight up and being honest were from that being around Tompkins enough to understand like, bro, I, he didn't care. Amateurs, pros, whatever. Um, if he saw something, he was going to tell you the way it was and he was going to pull the best out of his fighters. You know, so it, man, it was such a, a a cool moment when I got nominated for this year's Sean Tompkins Award because it, man, it just felt like it came it came full circle. And a guy that I always looked up to at Extreme Couture um, was very much a mentor to a lot of us. So it definitely meant a lot for me, for for his name to be on something that came with the Coach of the Year Award. Yeah, a couple of years afterwards, they started doing some uh, a golf memorial tournament for him up here in Ontario, and I helped out with it a little bit. Really got familiar with you know his family and the Adrenaline family, pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. Sam Stout, uh, Chris Hordesky, uh, yep. Mark Hominick, all those guys. So it's awesome to be able to hear some words about Sean Tomskins. And as soon as you agreed to come on the show, I'm like, I got to ask you about him, man, because uh, he, he was a very big part of Canadian mixed martial arts. And the fact that he moved down and started working with some really good guys down there in Vegas... I feel like you would have had some good things to say about him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He said he said a really good culture in our gym, and it was a very hard nose. Um, he ran a really tough practice in a really hard room, and I think that's a little bit of the where I get some of that lineage from was through him and watching the ways he did things, and it really helped me out a lot as far as understanding uh, how to how to approach your fighters. All right. Let's not waste too much more of your time, Eric. Let's just get into this card here. So we are here breaking down UFC Vegas 38. I believe it is a 12-fight card now, now that we missed out on Aspen Lad and Macy Kiasson. So let's start off right at the bottom of the card. We got uh, Alejandro Perez and Johnny Eduardo. Both guys are making extended, uh, or sorry, uh, comebacks after an extended layoff. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 230-ish for Alejandro Perez and plus 200 on Johnny Eduardo. Uh, I'll actually ask you a question first and foremost. How do you prepare guys who are coming off of two to three year long layoffs? Layoffs and how do you get them in the mindset to get back into, you know, get back into the cage and actually get back into live action? I think it just kind of depends on what the layoff looks like. Now, have they been completely out of the gym? Have they been training? Um, have they been helping coaching? Uh, there's a lot of things I think that you have to ask um, out of your fighter, like Misha Tate, when she was gone for the extended yeah. period that she was gone for four years, four and a half years, you know, and she, she's decided to make her comeback. 
Um, at least I felt comfortable knowing that she was an analyst and she was still working along in the sport. So her mental capacity was still there. And then when we got her on the mats, we really had to ease her into her training and then, and then really take our time as far as what um, game plans we were trying to implement in her last fight. So um, I really just think it depends on what you're doing in that time frame. And so, you know, those questions are unknown because we don't, we don't see them in the gym on the day to day. But what, what are they doing to, to stay better and stay relevant? Because, man, you see, like in two years, the game goes quick. You know, things pass by know. pretty quick. So, Yeah, for sure. So in terms of the stylistic matchup here, we got Alejandro Perez coming off. Uh, I believe it's roughly a two-year two two layoff. Uh, last time we saw him in the cage, he got knocked out by Yudong Song with a crazy uh, right cross down the middle. Uh, historically speaking, Alejandro Perez... A very durable guy right he can take damage he can come forward he can put on some good striking obviously has good takedown defense as well something that i showcased in the past uh johnny eduardo on the other hand a little bit bit more of a banshee right comes out of there nice and early tries to hop on you and try to get you out of there quickly but if you can survive that early on so it seems like this this is a guy that goes out there and breaks right now you're talking about a 42 43 year old coming back after how long off the last time he was in the cage was june of 2018 so we're talking about three-year layoff that's some prime years and then going up there at 41, 42 years old, there's not a very high win rate for guys that are at that, 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 that breaking 40 years old, unless your yeah. name is Alexei Olenek, of course. But uh, in this fight specifically, like, uh, are you familiar with these guys? Who do you actually favor here? Personally, I favor Perez. I think he's going to be able to survive early and then take over late, possible later finish or a decision for Perez for myself. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, I'd say the same. And I remember uh, when, when Cody Salmon fought Perez, uh, yeah, he was just kind of showed that same thing you're talking about. Very tough, very durable guy that was always there. Um, and then, you know, in the song, in the, in the song fight, like he made a mistake. He threw a naked inside low kick that just got him smoked. It's a little bit of that monkey see monkey do. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll draw a guy's ego out. So we'll kick him with something knowing that he's going to return with the same thing we just threw and set the trap and throw the right cross. So that's something I think uh, for him. You know, it was just an unfortunate calculation on his part. But, um, you know, I'm with you, man. I got to go with Perez on this one. I think he – I think it would, I, I would go decision on this one. But, you know, I wouldn't even be surprised if Eduardo comes out fast, tries to put him away, just like he said, and then ends, ends up losing round two and three, and then it'd be a decision by Perez. Yeah, again, it's not often you see guys taking that long of a layoff and then being that late in their career as well. But uh, we'll see how it works out for him tomorrow night. All right, let's keep the train moving along here. Next up, we got Shauna Young going up against Stephanie Egger. Uh, I believe the odds here now have uh, Stephanie Egger around minus 140, plus 120 is a return on Shauna Young. Uh, I, I like the Stephanie Egger side of things here. I do think that her judoka or a judoka background will come in play here. Shauna Young will probably be the better striker, but I don't think it's a, a massive advantage here for her. I do think that Edgar will be able to close distance without too much hesitation and then mm -hmm. get this fight to the ground. And one thing I kind of picked up on tape a lot is that Shana Young, whenever she's trying to get out of those uh, clinch or grappling situations, she tends to give up her back a lot. And that's not something uh -huh. you want to be doing here against a girl like Stephanie Edgar, who I believe has the chops to go out there and pull off a submission, jump on the back, or even drag her to the ground and then get to the back and find a rear naked choke. Uh, the odds on Stephanie Yeager to complete a submission, plus 500, plus 600, I think it's worth a little bit of a stab there. But yeah. even on her money line at minus 140, I think she's a pretty good bet straight up here. Are you familiar with any of these women, and how do you see this fight going down? Yeah, yeah I remember uh, Stephanie's fight versus Tracy Cortez. Yes. I just remember her being more impressed with the fact of how tough she was. You know, it was a tough, she was a tough chick, and it was a tough scrap. And uh, if I remember correctly, the young girl, um, her last fight was Macy, right? Chessain, I believe. In that. Uh, Macy. I think that... Yeah, for Shana Young, yeah, it was a short yeah. notice uh, step up, yeah. Yeah, so I remember that going to a decision as well. 
Um, but yeah, I lean towards uh, Edgar in this fight just because of, you know, I, I think just that when I saw the durability out of that girl and her toughness in the Tracy Cortez fight, you know, that was the one thing that stood out to me the most. And sometimes, you know, you can take a lot out of a loss, you know, and, and, and take a lot of pride out of what you did in that in that 15 minutes and, and use that to carry over into your next fight. Something interesting to know for this fight as well for Shannon Young. Uh, she had that Mesa Kiasson fight like we were talking about. I believe that was the beginning of 2020. And then had a child and is coming back now. So when she did step in on short notice against Mesa Kiasson, she was coming up a weight class. She's normally a 125er. Mm -hmm. Came up to 135 to take Kiasson on. And that was a fight where she looked like she was completely outmuscled. So it was very difficult for her to deal with the size of Kiasson there. And now, interestingly enough, she's back at 135 pounds. I don't know if that has anything to do with the fact that she just had a kid, but that is something definitely that we need to worry about here. All right, Eric, let's keep this train moving along here. We got Douglas Silva, Dion Draj going up against Gaetano Pirello. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 250 for Andrade and plus 235 for Gaetano Pirello. Uh, I like to compare Silva de Andrade to like the poor man's version of John Lineker. The guy is just shredded to shit and looks to throw your or, or punch your head into the fifth uh, fifth row of the stands, right? He goes out there, a tank of a human, uh, very durable, as he obviously showed in his last fight against Lerone Murphy back in January, where they just went back and forth, obviously more so on the Lerone side than anything. Yeah. But it definitely showed us the, the type of toughness and durability that a guy like Silva Diandraj has. Although he came up short against Piotr Jan, you know, Piotr Jan just put on a completely hellacious pace that not a lot of people can can keep up with. So, you know, not too much to take away from him with that loss there. But I think, you know, at 36 years old, he still has a lot to show in this in this division. And I feel like this guy, Gaetano Perello, is a perfect type of opponent for him to go out there and do exactly that. Perello, I believe, kickboxing or Muay Thai champion over there in Europe, mm. beating up on, you know, I say this with the utmost respect for every single fighter, but beating up on, you know, fighters that are not really of mm -hmm. good caliber over there in Europe. Uh, there are very uh, concerning things for uh, Pirello, especially when the fight hits the mat. And that's where I think that Dion Drage has a massive advantage. Brown belt in jiu-jitsu, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if he can get the fight to the ground, I think he'll have a massive advantage and then could possibly get something going from there. But... He doesn't fight like that often, right? He got, he likes to go forward, chuck those bombs, and try to knock you out. Uh, I believe his durability will hold up here. His cardio is much better, in my opinion, as well. And I think that Perello, if he doesn't knock him out in the first round, will start to fade in second and third rounds. And I think we'll see Silva Diandraj knock his head into the fifth round, probably in the second or third yeah. round. You and, familiar and he, with these guys here? How do you like yeah, this Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with Douglas. Uh, he's got a very quality win on his record in the, in the Marlon Vera. Yes. You know, and, and uh, he's fought actually some really, really good guys in this division. So, um, yeah, man, I, 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 I like your analysis. I think it's spot on. And, you know, I, I can't remember who the other guy fought last. I believe he it fought was Ricky Simone back Ricky in January. Simone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very That's tough right. stylistic matchup. Very tough style, it's, but but what you look at is a, is a plan of attack and a, and a path to victory. And like you said, you know, if you see what, what Ricky did with him on the ground, I understand that there's a, there's a, a pedigree of wrestling beside that. But at the same time, you, you try to take that same blueprint and apply it to your skill set and how you see fit. And I think you're right on with that. I am curious to hear your take on this. Like for this fight as an example, you are a striker, say Douglas Silva, Dion Drudge, but you see such a gaping hole in a, or a flaw in your opponent's grappling game. And you do have a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, black belt in jiu-jitsu. So sure, you can do some work if you drag this fight to the ground. Like how do you attack it as a coach? Do you just say, okay, we're the better striker. Let's just go out there and strike. Or can we take this to, the, to an easier route and just drag this fight to the ground? Uh, you always want to attack your, your clearest path to victory. So there's a there's a lot of times where where yeah, you, your game plan might even be something specific, 
Um, I'll use uh, Iwan Kudalaba for an example. Our last fight, you know, we, we understood that Devin Clark was going to look to try to wrestle us at some point, but we knew if we can counter wrestle and get on top, that we can dominate the top side positions. And once we did, it gave us the checks and balances. Once we got there, we understood what we were capable of in those positions. And he had no answer for certain things. It's like, hey, keep running that same play over, you know? So that's where we kind of go back to the well. Hey, if you can't hit the fastball, we're going to keep throwing that thing until you can. See, this is why coaches like yourself and James Carlos are like guys that I really respect because you guys take some fighters and allow them to win in ways that they don't normally win, right? Personally, for me speaking, when I was breaking down the Kutalaba and Clark fight, I'm like, Iwan probably has a round to knock him out, which I think he will. And that was my ultimate prediction. And I was surprised that he'd be able to win a decision. And he went out there and won a freaking decision thanks to Mr. Eric Nixick over here. Was that kind of the game plan the entire way or what was it going into that fight? No. So really for me, and it's funny that you bring up James because I talked to cross at least probably once or twice a week but um and james had asked me he said what are you looking to do in this fight in particular and i said i i want him to understand that he can win a fight in 15 minutes as well he doesn't have to go out and, and knock a dude out in the first minute or the first five minutes of the fight that we can withstand um and 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 really dominate and continue to dominate you know it's one thing when you get a 10-8 against dustin jacoby but how do you finish the fight and i want you to think about 10-8 and the dude every freaking round which he was damn near capable of doing. So um, for me, when I got a hold of him, I said, look, bro, I don't really care about working on more of your power. I want to work on, on your cardio and, and withstanding that power throughout a, a whole fight. So I think that's what, what things were, were very important for us. But, um, you know, I'm sorry, little man just got No home. worries, no worries. I'm a dog <laughs> of my own, a little wiener dog that, that likes to make some noise every now and then. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually my son. He just came in. Oh, your son? Sorry. Yeah. I thought I heard your dog. I apologize. No, no, no. He was, the, dog, the dog was cruising around because the son was outside. But, um, you know, and, and then uh, the other fight, too, that comes to mind was actually when we had Maki Patolo versus one of James's guy, uh, Julian Marquez. We flipped the script because I knew James thought we would come out and strike. We actually came out and wrestled, you know. <laughs> it's awesome to have that friendly type of competition amongst coaches, right? That's, oh, that's awesome. There. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorite guys in the sport. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, one last thing I wanted to say, and then we'll move on to the next fight here. In regards to uh, Iwan Kutalaba, when did you guys actually start working with him? Uh, I I, picked, I started working with him this camp. So he was okay. um, in Vegas. He was doing some of his camps in Vegas, but he didn't really have like. Um, like a home base, if you will. He just kind of trained it at some gyms and bounced around, but he used a lot of his guys from his home country. They cornered him. So it didn't really feel like he had like a coaching staff. He was just kind of doing his own thing. And uh, this particular fight, he, you know, he pulled me aside and said, look, man, would you be willing to work with me? Um, I want to see what it looks like. I want to go over, you know, he's never really had a game plan. He's never really sat and broke down tape. He's never done any of this stuff. So um, and I really like the guy. I like the way he fights. I like his style. You know, his he, vibe too, right? He, he has this energy about him for some reason. Man, he's such a nice guy. Yeah. It's so, it's so weird because he's such a nice guy. And then you see him on weigh-in days and, and <laughs> fight days. Like, That's an event shit. in itself, Eric. Now yeah. everybody looks forward to his weigh-ins now. <laughs> for sure. For sure. But, you know, I, I told him, I said, all those things add up to the energy, energy systems that we need to keep intact for the day of the yeah. fight. You know, like I don't have a problem with some of the stuff, but. You know, remember, like when we started the fight, he was very calm and collect and we worked on that, too. I don't want to waste a lot of energy yeah. in something that really doesn't matter right now. What matters is when that bell rings and, and how we finish this fight. So, yeah, man, I really enjoyed working with him this, this last camp. I look forward to seeing how he continues to flourish 
under your guidance. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Jamie Malarkey going up against Devontae Smith. Minus 140 for Devontae, plus 120 for Malarkey. I'll quickly uh, kick this off and then I'll bring it on over to you. But uh, Devontae Smith, big power puncher, obviously. We know that uh, has some big, uh, has some good uh, skills that he's starting to develop over there at Factory X under Mark Montoya. Um, and then on the flip side, you got Jamie Malarkey, who's just a tough SOB. If you guys remember yeah. that fight or Brad Riddell just throwing bombs at each other yeah. and they're still continuing to try, uh, move forward. Uh, I'm actually quite impressed with what I've been seeing from Jamie Malarkey in terms of his durability and then being able to kind of impose his will on certain fighters. I know a lot of people are looking at his last fight against Ferris Ziem, uh, a guy who's stylistically completely different from Devontae Smith. He likes to stick and move, uses his range quite well, stays on the outside and is able to pick apart Jamie Malarkey, which is, uh, is exactly what he did that time. For Devontae Smith, the, the kind of big flaw that a lot of people are looking at is a little bit earlier in his career when he went up against John Gunther and he just got completely you know ragdolled and then he gassed out and then John Gunther was able to take over afterwards and people still believe he has that flaw about him so mm. there's actually a two-part that I'm going to bring spring this over to you with is one how do you actually improve a fighter's cardio because like we just say it like let's improve cardio like uh, to me that's just like he needs to go run more or he needs to mm -hmm. do more road work or something like that H how do you actually improve a, a fighter's cardio and then ultimately uh give me your thoughts on this matchup yeah uh, there's a lot of layers to that and i think it's a lot of situational awarenesses understanding where to schedule your breaks when can you rest when you need to explode you know uh areas of concern like hey i can't rest here Right. Like if you're if you're on your back or you're in a position where you're getting rained down on, there's obvious uh, dangerous scenarios. And you can't rest here. So um, we won these these drills on Saturdays. We call them sicko Saturdays. They're mimic. They're, they're, they're basically MMA fights that we do here in the cage at, at Shri Couture. Um, but they're tailored to the fact of, of creating chaos and being and creating harmony within that chaos, understanding when you can rest, what your breaks are. Um, and I think it's really helped us a lot as far as getting MMA cardio because you're trying to you're trying to you know really ramp up those energy systems, but then it's like okay we're gonna rest here, but there's a little bit of active recovery. You're you're kind of resting, but you're doing a wall walk or you're carrying yeah. a medicine ball or or doing those things. But um, for me, I, I feel like the best the best antidote is really like hard practices and hard goes on wrestling grappling. You know, and then for me, like if we're doing grappling rounds, I'll make you get up and shadow box right after. Oh, wow. why? Why? Because what are the we start we started watching this more over lately when you see aesthetics, judges look at the aesthetics, the body language. So you might not be tired, but your body language might say something different. How are you training that? How are you completing, you know, completing through everything? So when you get up, you're hearing me say, hey, body language, body language. You know, and guys have to understand that. Yeah, optically speaking, that's definitely something I myself as a gambler look at as well. I'm like, how does a guy by a guy's body language look like maybe a round after he's done fighting or something like that, two rounds into a fight? What does it look like? Because there might not be anything going on, but if you're on your back foot the entire time looking dead, you know, I mean, it doesn't look good to the judges at all. Um, so Devontae Smith and uh Jimmy Malarkey, you know much about these guys and how how would you see this fight going down, brother? Yeah, so Devontae fought one of our guys in Justin James who can wrestle. Yes. Joe Justin can wrestle his ass off. So um, and Devonte ended up, I, I remember like hip tossing him or sweeping him or doing something pretty, pretty freaking elaborate that, you know, Justin doesn't really ever get hit with. Um, but the main thing I remember with him is just he's his range. I, you know, Justin's a smaller, stockier yeah. sort of, um, he's more of a 45er, but he fought, I think he fought Devonte at 55s and, you know, the range became a big problem. And then I remember um, 
I was going to help uh, Clay Collard. Clay Collard was going to take that fight. And then uh, I, something happened with USADA and Clay couldn't get the fight. And that's when he fought uh, Karma Worthy. Oh, yeah. Clay was going to come back to the UFC is what you're saying. Yeah. Clay got a short notice. Yeah, Clay got a short notice to fight in the UFC, and it was going to be against Devontae Smith on a week notice. Wow! And he like, and he like, um, he was taking like some supplement. It was nothing bad, but it was like a DHEA or something like that. And Usada's like, well, you you can't take that. So yeah. it, it got it got him pulled from the fight, and then he ended up fighting Karma Worthy, and then that's when he got knocked out by him. So crazy, crazy uh, circumstances how they all played out, you know. But. Uh, and Malarkey, yeah, same thing. I kind of remember him, man. Just super tough, super durable. But with the uh, Faraz, right? Am I saying his name, Faraz? Uh, Ferris is him. Yeah, yeah. Ferris. Close so enough. He, <laughs> he came out and trained with us recently as well. Okay. And the thing that I noticed uh, about him was how well he used his range and his length. So for me, I look at that and I think of Mark Montoya and what he looks at and breaking down his film. I would imagine that that's part of going to be their uh, of their game plan is using their length, um, staying long, setting traps to the cage side where you kind of get a guy on the barrier, but you can use your length off your pull counters. And um, you know that I think I think this is a fight that Devontae should win, in my opinion. Uh, do you happen to see like a, a method of victory for him there? Do you think he can knock this kid out, or do you think they'll still go the full fifteen? <laughs> You know, I I would I wouldn't I wouldn't venture to guess either way, and I hate to say okay. this because. You know, Devontae, I've seen him sleep, dudes, right? Yeah. This, this baby power. kid's tough. Yeah. He's tough. And we've seen that before as well, like almost too tough for his own good at times, you know? So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think Devontae wins, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way. I think it favors Jamie if it goes later. Yeah. I think if it goes into later rounds, that's where it might favor Jamie. might score some good takedowns, um, you know, play some top side, try to kill some clock. But if it's a if it's an early finish, it's going to be by Devonte. Absolutely agree with you there. I, I am actually going to flip pick on the flip side here though. I'm going to go with Malarkey here. I like the underdog money on him in this spot, and given his durability that we know has shown through in the past, I feel like he'll hold up here. And then his takedowns are going to start to come. His clinch control is going to come. And something that I like to call it, Eric, is grapple fucking. That's exactly what the, what Young Kutalaba was successful with doing with Devin Clark. And I do yep. think that we'll see that here with Jamie Malarkey. Cook, cook him, bro. Cook the time. Cook him. Is that cook what you guys him, call man. it? Yeah. Cook yeah. The beans. Cook him. You I know, like it. And getting, getting those dominant positions where you can just chip away at them. You know, the, the short elbow game is, is huge for us. We just like to place elbows on foreheads and not make them big and not make them loopy. We just place them and try to cut guys open and give the cut man something to do. I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Carol Hosa going up against Betts Kohea, who actually missed weight this morning, 130. And uh, she missed by two and a half pounds, I should say. Uh, this is a retirement fight, so it's not like there's going to be any repercussions or anything uh, on the back end here. But this is definitely not how you want to end off your MMA career on a, on a on an L here. Not to mention, I do think she ends up taking the L in the cage tomorrow night as well. Carol Hosa, uh, I still kind of call her a prospect, but she's getting better with every single fight. Black belt yeah. jiu-jitsu, if I'm not mistaken, her striking is insane. You know, she's putting up crazy numbers. I think one of her statistics is seven and a half strikes landed per minute, uh, yeah. although she does absorb about five strikes per minute as well. But she seems to have pretty good durability, and it seems like she could take a shot. I think she's a much more disciplined and better technical fighter here. And I do think she'll be able to put together better combinations. I think there will be finishing opportunities for her. However, 
I'm just not so keen on picking a method of victory in this fight. Am I parlaying her at minus 600? Probably because I feel like she's probably one of the more safer spots on this yeah, card. Betch, in my opinion, too. is not that great of a fighter. And again, I say that with all due respect, but I do think that uh, I've definitely made more money betting against her than I have uh, betting on her for sure. So Eric, uh, what do you know about these women? And ultimately, how do you think this fight goes? Uh, I'm with you too. And I think that's your centerpiece to any parlay that you put. I think she steamrolls her, to be quite honest with you. I do. And, and I think a couple of things that come to mind, Missing weight like that is, is kind of like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't really give a shit anymore. I'm retiring. This is my retirement fight. Why, why, cut, why cut the extra weight? Why do this? Why do that? So you want to put her in scenarios, kind of like what we did with Misha and Marin, Marin Renault. We, just, we knew that we just had to keep chipping away at her, and eventually there'll be a breaking point. So that, in my mindset, hey, put a hard pace on her in round two. Make her, make her question why she's there. And then, obviously... If she didn't make the weight, she made the weight. If she had a hard weight cut or not, I don't give a shit. I'm using that. I'm using that as motivation. You know, I'm going to use that as motivation saying, hey, this girl didn't even have the decency to make weight. So let's go beat that shit out of her. Right. Oh. And I think I think that I think this is going to be a coming out party for this girl, to be quite honest with you. I love it. I love that conviction, Eric. I do want to pose a question regarding uh, this by this fight specifically. Um, have you ever cornered a fighter that it was the retirement fight? Have you does anything come to mind for you? Um, not that I knew of, not that I knew of, but Martin Cantman, um, he, his last fight with Carlos Condit ended up being his retirement fight. Um, I was actually you know, there for that one, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. Yep. Yeah, uh, I was there. uh, Gray Maynard as well. Gray Maynard's last fight against Nick Lance, you know, um, obviously with him losing that way, I, I you know, I, I kind of knew that maybe this was going to be it for him. Um, Joseph Benavidez, I knew, yep. I figured it was Joe's last fight when, uh, he lost. But you know, it wasn't. I don't think we knew going into a fight that none that I can remember. Uh, Ray Seffo, Ray Seffo's, I think was. I, I remember him saying, "Hey, this is gonna be my last one. Let's have some fun with this one." You know, so that's that that's what I was one. trying to get from you, Eric. Yeah. Is actually like, what what kind of mindset do these fighters, or do you think that Betch specifically is going into this fight with? Like, am I just gonna leave it all in there? You know, it's my last fight. I, I missed weight, whatever the the hell. It's not even like she can get a performance or fight of the night bonus either, right? So that's kind of out the window at this point in time. So I wish you had a more relatable situation, not so much with the weight miss, but knowing beforehand that this fighter was it was gonna be the last fight. We're race yeah. stuff. You got a legend, right? We're talking yeah. about apples and oranges in this situation. If you want to compare the two, yeah, and I think it just depends on the fighter. I really do. And I, I know yeah. Ray took a lot of pride in that camp that we had when he fought uh, uh, Huckaba. And I know how hard he worked and how hard he pushed. Um, so, I mean, uh, Ray put everything into that camp, you know, and, and, and unfortunately didn't go our way that fight. But Ray was showing out like he was taking the guy down and doing some stuff that people didn't expect <laughs> Ray to do. But, um, you know, ultimately, I think it just really depends on the fighter. I like it. I like it. All right, let's move this train along. We got Antonina Shevchenko going up against Extreme Couture product, Casey O'Neill. Obviously, I don't want you guys to show your hand or anything in regards to this fight, but I'll quickly break it down, and then I want to see what you can have to say after that. So, obviously, it seems like Casey O'Neill's best path to victory in this fight would be to drag it to the ground and kind of exploit that uh, grappling or takedown defense of Antonina Shevchenko. Obviously, Roxanne Modafari was successful in doing that. Even though it was a close fight, you know, we saw Shevchenko get back to her feet uh, at a decent clip, but just wasn't able to dish out enough 
enough damage to actually get the decision in that fight. Uh, and then she gets ragdolled by Catelyn Chikagian for as long as that fight lasted as well. Uh, I do personally think I think Shevchenko is the, the better striker in this fight. Uh, mm-hmm. This might be the best striker Casey O'Neill has fought to this point. And I think we could see some issues presented with O'Neill attempting to close the distance and actually drag this fight to the ground. Uh, I feel like we'll we'll see Shevchenko kind of ready for those types of situations. And even though she is ready, there's obviously instances where Casey O'Neill will drag this fight to the ground and actually close that distance successfully. I I'm I just feel the odds are a little bit too wide in this fight. It's a roughly around minus two twenty for Casey O'Neill, who, in my opinion, yeah. even though she's undefeated, still needs to prove a little bit more to me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then Shevchenko, on the other hand, obviously a great striker, has been on the, a little bit of a downslope in her own right. But I do think with her striking advantage, she might be able to actually find the knockout in this fight as well. I do think that O'Neill at certain times is a little bit reckless and wild in terms mm-hmm. of closing the distance here, and that could open up that KO opportunity for Shevchenko. Shevchenko by KO is plus 800. Got to take a little bit of a stab on that. And yeah. even the under two and a half, because I think if O'Neill successfully drags this to the ground, she is an aggressive mofo on top. And I think she could actually get Shevchenko out of there as well. So the under two and a half is currently sitting around plus 100, plus 110. I might be taking a little bit of a sprinkle on that because I'm expecting some violence in this fight. Eric, what can you share about this fight without actually showing your hand? Oh, you know, I mean, I think your analysis is spot on. And I think as a coaching staff, that's exactly what we looked at in this scenario is like, how do we how do we close the distance in what ways um, or against the open stance? And how do we get into the inside clinch positions? How do we use our trips? How do we use our body locks? How do we do all these things? But how do you set it up with your hands and your kicks? Um, and again, like you don't want to be playing on the outside with this girl. You don't want to be standing in kick range. Unfortunately, you know, I was there when Jessica, I got knocked out by her sister. They do such a good job of, of the way they set their kicks up and set their traps up that you don't really want to be sitting around in that kick range and kind of taking pictures, if you will. So, um, but I, you know, I, I'll tell you what, man, I'm always every day impressed by Casey O'Neill, her, her tenacity, how hard she goes in the gym. I, I'm sure Co- Cody Stamen hates her because she tries to beat <laughs> the shit out of that guy every day. I mean, she really does. And she's one of the meanest son of a bitches I've ever seen in my life, man. She's, She's tough as all can be, um, gives everybody's fits in the room. But I just love that she has that charismatic attitude, right? It's like she she lives by that. And I think that um, to me, when I when I see Shevchenko, the younger sister, I feel like um, she has a, she has a moment of like sometimes she might wilt under pressure when you put that type of pressure on her. So when I look at Casey's style and the way she likes to pressure these fighters, get in their face and talk a little shit and be gritty and grimy. Um, to me, I think that's kind of what her best path to victory is, is score those takedowns, get in her head that you ain't getting the fuck back up. And I'm going to cut you up. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to beat your body up and I'm going to make you want to quit. So, um, and that's, that's the attitude that she has. So, you know, I love having her in the gym, man. <laughs> yeah. I love fighters like that, that like skillfully or technically they may not be the best, but their aggressiveness and ability to push the fight and make it dirty gives the the fight in their favor. Essentially. And that's why I think a lot of people are looking at this for Casey, you know, is like, yeah, technically speaking, Shevchenko may be the better striker, maybe not the better overall fighter, but the aggressiveness that we should see from uh, Casey O'Neill. Well, yeah, uh, Co- coach Eddie Barocco has done a marvelous job with her striking in her hands and it's only getting better and better over time. And the nice thing is that like she hasn't really had to show it a whole lot because she's getting the fight to the floor, you know, so Casey Halstead and the boys over at Shrink Couture and 10 Planet and then with Coach Eddie, you know, I'm, I'm just really happy with where, where she's been coming along, especially in that in that um, that tenacity department. And that's what we take pride in at Shrink Couture is like getting in your face, being grimy and going out to try to get those finishes. 
I love it. I can't wait to see how she develops and obviously what we see in terms of tomorrow night. I do want to shout out my guy, Clint from Die Hard MMA Podcast. And Casey O'Neill is a Diaz brother confirmed. <laughs> Makes <laughs> Facts. sense to me. <laughs> Facts. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. This is Alexander Hernandez going up against, I believe, James Krause product, Mike Breeden. Yeah. In terms of odds, we got uh, minus, with, uh, minus 525 for Hernandez, plus 450 the return on Mike Breeden here. Uh, obviously, Breeden taking this fight on somewhat short notice ended up missing weight on the scale which is obviously not a good look but then again short notice that's kind of a little bit of a slack here yeah hernandez uh, i don't really know what to do with the guy right like i uh, his fight against tiago moises I, I felt like that was a great fight for him to go out there and implement that kind of energetic and power striking style that he has but tiago moises showed great improvements in terms of his striking and what he was able to do and especially with keeping the fight on 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 the feet um hernandez just seemed to wilt probably by like the minute four minute five mark he's really starting to slow down and tiago moises was able to take over from there mm -hmm. but this seems like a fight you know given the circumstances and all that where hernandez should be able to get back on the winning track and and, and get an early ko here like I, that's kind of where i'm seeing here do you know much about mike breeden and if so what can you kind of provide with him i do i know a lot about mikey so okay okay this is uh this is kind of a cool story so james kraus uh ends up getting covid and mike breeden and uh jeff molina are fighting on the contender series so you know uh like i said earlier kraus and i are very close James called me and said, hey, there's no other dude that I trust in the world to corner my two prospects than you. Will you corner my guys in the contender series? So I had I met with these guys on a Sunday, met wow. with them on a Sunday, and I cornered both of them in the contender series. And I've remained friends with both of them. I've remained in contact with both of them. I told them that, you know, although like I'm not your head coach, uh, we shared something together that's pretty, pretty darn dynamic. And a lot of times it's never really going to happen. And I don't want this to be in the end of the road for us. I'm going to be, you know, there for you guys if you need me. Um, so I, I, I was, I wrote Mikey right away when I saw the news that he got in the UFC. You know, unfortunately, he didn't win his contenders fight. But I'll tell you what, he fought his ass off, and he fought yeah. in ways that I was so impressed by the kid and his, and his, and just his durability and his grittiness. Um, he basically lost his whole lead leg to the calf kick uh, in the first and second round. And we got on the stool in round three and I go, hey, switch your fucking stance up. Let's go to Southpaw and let's go in this dude's face and try to beat his ass. And that kid responded and went out there and won the third round. And my whole point to Mikey in that third round was, hey, look, this is going to carry over. Your third round is going to carry over into your next camp. So take some pride in this third round. Yes, I know you need to get a finish, but I want you to think about how this is going to dictate for the future for you you understand what i'm telling you he's like i do coach let's go so here's a guy that he didn't even know me man but i'll tell you what after that fight i was blown away by him um and obviously melina melina went out there and did a, a marvelous job but i think it tells you a lot about what james cross is capable of doing he's one of the guys that uh develops talent a lot of guys come to gyms they move to gyms you know and you kind of adopt talent i've done that i've been the beneficiary of a lot of good guys that come to my gym but the guys I built, the guys are, that I brought up are different. The Dan Ege's of the world, the Puna yeah. Sorianos, the guys that I've been with for, from, from, the, from the regional scene says a lot about that. So to me, I think when you look at this matchup, obviously, yes, Alex Hernandez is that veteran. He's the guy that should win this fight. And it's kind of, a, it's kind of the same scenario that Alex was in when he fought Benil Dariush. He yeah. came in, yeah, good, know, good person. kind of name, whatever, and then all of a sudden – Alex Hernandez knocks him out, right? And then the other side of this is you're talking about Mark Montoya, who is James Krause's head coach, 
and James Krause in the other corner. So there's going to be some good game and shit going back and forth with these two guys. But, um, you know, as much as I, my heart's with Mikey, I want to see Mikey win this fight. This is Alex, Alex Hernandez fight to lose. He should yeah. win this fight. He should be the guy to, to, to come out on top. He should not only come out on top, he should make a statement, right? Because I think that's something that he needs. He needs to go out and make a statement. But I'll tell you what, that Mikey Breeden kid's one tough son of a bitch, bro. I'll be pulling for him. <laughs> for sure. I'm glad that you're able to kind of make an unbiased uh, kind of analysis for us as there as well, considering that you've cornered Breeden in the past and have a close relationship with him. Uh, has he actually come out to extreme since then to to train with you guys even for like a day or or a weekend or anything like that? He he hasn't, and um, I understand his situation. We've actually talked quite a bit. You know, I know he works. He has a, a family and all those things and with COVID and you know, it's tough to travel, man. I haven't been out to Denver to see Dwayne or any of, uh, any of my guys for a while either. Um, so you, you just get so busy, it gets tough. But the main thing for me is just making sure that he knows I'm available for him, even if it's a text. Like when Melina fought, I made sure to write Melina when he got the nice. UFC, all those things. Um, I have no skin in the game, but I actually, you know, we, we've now have uh, invested interest in one another because of that, that moment that James gave us was, hey, you're going to be their coach for the day. Um, and man, from here on out, they're going to be part of my family. That definitely shows the type of relationship that you and James have for James to be oh, like, man. here are the reins, Eric, take care of my fighters who are having the most important fight of their career to begin Correct. with. Right. And at the the, no, no higher compliment that I think you can give another coach by not saying anything other than, yes. Hey, I trust you, bro. Can you, can you handle, you're the only guy that I trust other than Mark Montoya to, to run my two guys uh into victory so man i i love i love the fact that he trusts me like that and you know i just goes to show you the type of guy that he is i love it i love it all right let's move on to the next fight here very interesting fight and somebody that you actually have some experience with we got joe selecki going up against jared gordon jared flash gordon that is we got plus a 110 ish now on jared gordon and minus 130 is the return on joe selecki joe selecki great bjj specialist obviously if he's able to get the fight into that realm he will be able to choke you either control you or choke you out uh but we did see some deficiencies in terms of his ability to do much off of his back in his fight against Jim Miller last time around where Jim Miller was able to successfully take him down in that first round and then controlled him the entire time. I had a good chunk of money on Joe Selecki and I was sweating my balls off after that first round, but luckily he was able to go out there and implement his grappling dominance in the second and third rounds and take some of decision victory. Jared Flash Gordon, on the other hand, continues to be overlooked by a lot of people being an underdog in his last fight against Danny Chavez, going out there and doing what Jared Flash Gordon does. And then this time around too, once again, the underdog here, I, I, do lean with the underdog in Jared Gordon. I do think he has the better wrestling out of the two guys. And if you can't get Jared Gordon down, what is Joe Selecki going to be able to do on the ground? I know people have questioned the durability of Jared Gordon. I think they're looking a little bit too much into that. I do think he can take a punch as he showed in his last fight against Danny Chavez. And I kind of find it hard to believe that Joe Selecki would be able to hit harder than what uh, Danny Chavez brought to the table that night. Uh, I think Gordon will be able to uh, kind of stay away from the jiu-jitsu game of Selecki. And I wouldn't even be surprised to see him push that pace and actually even land takedowns of his own because I feel yeah. like his jiu-jitsu is good enough. I'm not I'm not sure. I believe a brown belt under John Donaher should be able to stay safe in top position and then really start working him from that top position. Jared Gordon puts you through a fucking meat grinder when he's able to get you down and, and even just push the pressure up against you. So I like Gordon here. like him as a dog. think he wins this fight by decision. How do you see this one going down? Uh, I think you're spot on with everything you're saying. Now, you've got to think, too, Jared's moving back up to 155. That's mm -hmm. going to help him as far as the weight cut goes and, and the brain health and everything else. So um, now when he fought, when we had the fish gold fight, man, he put on a grappling clinic. And that dude, top side pressure, top half guard, 
beautiful Everything fight. He does, man, I mean, he is relentless. And I want a lot of money on that Danny Chavez fight. I want a <laughs> Let's lot of money go, Eric. Let's I did, go. bro. You know, it's funny when you get to know a guy and you see their pedigree and you're around him enough in the, in the, when it comes to actually in the cage. It just it shows you a lot about who he is. And um, I've always been a big fan of Jared Gordon. He's fought some of the top competition in the game. And, um, you know, I think Selecki's a great, great prospect. You know, I wouldn't, you know, you can't count this guy out. The, even the odds are super, super narrow. Um, you know, his bet, his best path to victory to me is he's got to try to get Jared Rock and jump on something. I, I'm talking about a transitional submission. The same thing we sorry. talked about last week with um, Ortega and Volkanovski. Uh, yeah. The only path to victory I had for Ortega was a transitional submission, jumping on something and getting it. And this, and this kind of reminds me of that same scenario. And Jared's not going to be afraid to go to the ground with this guy. You know, we had Gary Tonin out there with us in, in Abu Dhabi, myself, Paul Felder. We ended up cornering this kid. Um, you know, his, his pedigree for his ground game. Now he's over at Sanford MMA. They're going to come over with a good game plan for the kid. And, you know, I got to go with Jared Gordon this one for sure. I love it. I love it. I love when we're kind of on the same dog here. It gives me a little bit more extra confidence in terms of actually putting the wager down here. Eric, I, I am curious in terms of what your experiences in terms of the gambling side of MMA. Is it something you look to do like when you see a, a, a sizable edge or is it something that you just kind of do as like a, you know, chump change? I'm going to put a hundred bucks on the card. Sometimes I, sometimes I look at value. I just okay. go, Oh, there's a lot of value and, and a lot, you know, I like betting underdogs. I do. I think most people like the, the fact of getting plus money. Um, but you know, there's sometimes where you see a good value on fighters. For example, when Volkanovski was like minus 140. I'm like, there's a lot of value on this guy <laughs> right? at, this, at this at this rate, you know. And you start yeah. you start asking yourself, well, well, shit. I think the smart money, the public money, might go one way or another. But at, at a minus 140, you're very rare to get a guy like Volkanovski at this rate. Let me jump on that rate, you know. Um, I had Robbie Lawler at a good rate because when that fight yeah. opened up, and you know, I have inside information. I know I hear about training. I hear about what guys are doing. I hear about injuries and all those things. So use that to your advantage, especially if you're involved in the sport. But yeah, that's 90% of me and James Cross's conversation stuff is who he's fucking betting on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, James was like one of the first like legit guys that I had on this show in terms of like being involved in the MMA world. And uh, yeah, he, he he definitely likes to put a wager down. Oh, so. he's, and, and let me tell you about James. That dude is sharp because you know he he's, he's looking at LFA. He's looking yeah. at Bellator. It's not just UFC. This dude knows fighting and he knows who to bet on and who to stay away from. Yeah, uh, Fight Ready Santino DeFranco is another very solid guy in terms of like picks and all that stuff. I had him on the mm. show a couple of weeks ago as well. And I told him, I'm like, I'm having you on as well. He goes, oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Eric as well. Obviously a much more household name than myself. Uh, but I'm like, hey man, you, you have a household face. Oh, you know, somebody that, that guy, Like dude, as that, soon as you know, see oh, him, you man. know who he is. <laughs> He's doing great things out there at Fight Ready. Him and Eddie Char are building a freaking dynasty out there. And, you know, we had to compete against each other with the, against Korean Zombie. And, you know, that's yeah. it's some of the best things you can imagine. Why you get into this sport is to compete against good, good, good guys like those guys. And I'll tell you what, man, we're not fighting them. I'm rooting for them. So I appreciate nice. that. Awesome. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. Another fight you kind of have some history with one of the fighters. We got Misha Serkinov going down to 185 pounds going on, uh, going up against uh, Christoph Jotko. We got minus 135 on Jotko, plus 115 on Misha Serkinov. Now, I do like Serkinov in this fight if his durability can hold up. That seems to kind of be the issue that he runs into when he's fighting some of these guys. But then again, he's going up against some pretty heavy hitters. Jotko, mm. 
six KO victories in 18 wins, I believe it is. His last KO came in uh, 2016 over the Barncat, Tamden McCrory from back yeah. in the day. And then uh, before that, uh, he had five knockout victories in his first nine fights. And Eric, me and you both know this, that the finishes are a lot easier to come by earlier in your career uh, based on the level of competition that you're going up against. Once you start going up the scale, once you start fighting better fighters, that finish becomes harder and harder. And Jotko has slowly become, you know, started to become a, a point fighter in a sense, right? Yeah. Knows he's a good striker, can stay at range pretty well and kind of just pick his opponents apart. Uh, he's had two knockdowns in his UFC career. One where he was able to obviously finish time to McCrory and then one time where he was able to uh, drop uh, Uriah Hall. And then obviously we know Uriah Hall was able to come back and knock him out as well. I think Sirkinov is the better fighter all around here, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think he's a great striker, master with his jiu-jitsu, as we obviously saw with that Peruvian necktie against Jimmy Crute, and even just look throughout his career. The guy's a master on the ground as well, and you know a very big and strong dude, so I think he'll be able to close the distance here without too much issue. I don't think he has much to worry about in terms of the power coming his way. Should be able to drag this fight to the ground. I think he's going to be able to tie Jotko up in a, into a pretzel in this fight, to be honest. I'm I'm liking Sirkinov, Sirkinov by submission at plus 300 as well. Might be taking a little bit of a stab on that. How do you see this one going down there? Yeah, I think that's a great analysis again. You know, and uh, Misha on the ground, I've rolled with the guy numerous times. Uh, just you want to talk about a meat grinder. That's the guy right there, man. He's top heavy the pressure he puts on um and he has uh he has very sensible smart submissions they're not submissions where he's going for arm bars off the back where he's going to lose position you know if he if he doesn't submit you he's going to end up in an advantageous position i like that about his his fight iq when it comes to his submission game so my only thing i worry about with misha is who has he been sparring who is his training partners I know the guys that at the gym over at Drysdale's. There's not a lot of big guys, so I, that I know of, right? And I might be completely wrong, but um, I just I don't know who he's sparring and who he's training with over there, um, and how does this weight cut affect him? It looked like he looked pretty damn healthy, so I, I'm not too worried about the weight cut. Now, Christoph Jocko, I cornered against twice. Um, I cornered against him with Uriah Hall and Brad Tavares. Um, we were two and zero on both of those, um, but I'll tell you what: when we when he had the Uriah Hall fight. Uh, I, I reminded Uriah numerous times that you're going to have to walk through hell to beat this guy. It's going to be, it's not going to be an easy fight and sure as shit. That's exactly what it was. I think it was a 10, eight first round. And then he was able to find the right cross and knock him out. And then Brad Tavares is a little bit different, Brad, I think put a steamrolled him pretty good and then finish him in, in the second or third round, if I remember correctly. Um, and then Jocko has, has a bit of a, a resurgence again. He kind of came back and then another tough draw against uh, Sean Strickland, another guy at our, at our gym. So this is kind of one of those fights where it's a, it's a, it's a fork in the road for both guys. You know, if one guy loses this fight, I wouldn't say they would get cut, but where, where do they go from here? You know, and, and this is Misha with a new, a new division. He's trying to make a name, make some noise in this division. This is the guy to do it on. And I can see exactly what you're saying. Just kind of get in his face, be gritty, be grimy, maybe eat a couple punches to, to score this takedown, get on top and look for that, look for that top side submission. Yeah, it's not often that you see a lot of fighters find success going down a weight class. So I'm interested to see how it's going to work out for Sirkinov in the situation. But I'll definitely be pulling for the Canadian here because, man, I thought Gavin Tucker was going to be one of our guys. And then your man, Dan Ige, just starches him <laughs> in 14 seconds, Eric. Thank you for that one. I really Sorry, brother. It. I love Gavin too. Sorry. <laughs> Gavin's a beast. If I'm not mistaken, he actually did come out to Extreme after that fight as well, right? Yeah, I did train with the guys for a yeah, little bit. I trained with them for, for a while. You know, I, he said that, you know, I wrote it. I wrote the kid. I mean, I trained with him well, well before he fought Dan um, and well before he fought Justin James. And he was thinking about coming out to Vegas. 
So uh, I've, I've remained in contact with them. And then, you know, after the Danny Ige fight, I, you know, I called the kid numerous times. I texted numerous times to check in on him, check on his well-being, just because I cared about the kid, man. He's, he's, yeah. he's a really good kid. He came out and uh, did some training with us. And I think he's back in Halifax now um, getting ready for his next fight. But, um, you know, just a, just a heady kid, man. He's, he's super smart, super intellectual when it comes to the fight game, asks all the right questions, and uh, he's got a very bright future. Very, very skilled on the feet and on the ground, as we obviously saw in his run so far. All right, let's move on to the third last fight here. Uh, we're running really low on time here in terms of getting Eric out of here in a timely fashion. But we got Nico Price going up against Alex Cowboy Oliveira. In terms of odds, we got minus 180-ish for Nico Price and plus 170 is a return. Or sorry, plus 160 is a return here on Alex Cowboy Oliveira. I always have so much trouble breaking down Cowboy Oliveira because I feel like this guy is such a wild card when yeah. it comes to the cage, right? Like sometimes you're going to get his performance against Peter Sabota or then you're going to get some performance like when he went up against Randy Brown last time around getting choked out with a one-armed rear naked choke i understand you know the, the the positioning of it all was all in favor of randy brown to be able to pull off a submission like that but mm -hmm. man you just don't know what you're getting with Oliveira, right you got nico price uh absolute uh, a banshee of a man but seems to be getting better as his career progresses because you know he's being a little bit more disciplined he's not just going balls to the wall anymore uh you know he had a pretty damn good performance against vicente luque uh the last time that they fought uh and then obviously we saw that fight get stopped late in that third round with uh his eyes shutting um I do favor Nico Price in this fight. I feel as though Alex Oliveira is a guy that can be broken. And I feel mm -hmm. like a guy like Nico Price is definitely going to be able to go out there and break him. Not to mention kid number six on the way from Mr. Nico Price. Not, not anything in comparison to what Alex Oliveira has on the table with 11. But one thing we know for sure that neither of these guys are pulling out of this fight or much of anything else. Eric, in terms of how this fight actually goes down, do you think Nico Price has the chops to go out there and knock out or finish Oliveira? Or do you think we see that finesse Oliveira from back in the day where he's like, you know, really showing good Muay Thai and good jujitsu. I just can't trust him in that position, to be honest with you. I, I, I'll lay the chalk on Nico in this, in this fight. You know, I think, uh, I think a guy like Nico Price stylistically who gets in your face, he's ready, he's, he's grimy and wants to, wants to have a war. And, you know, the level of competition that Nico Price has fought in the last four or five fights versus Charles Oliveira, the way things have gone. I know, I know uh, Nico lost to Pajera. Right, Michelle. He lost Michelle was his lost. last loss. Yeah, yeah, his last loss, and then Vicente Luque. You know, he's he's fought some of the some of the better guys in the welterweight division, um, and has given him some fits as well. But in this in this fight in particular, I think this is a this is Nico Price hands down. I think he laid the chalk on that. You think he finishes him? I wouldn't doubt it. I think yeah. I think he I think he has more ways of winning than than Oliveira does for sure. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's move on to the co-main event here. We got Kevin Holland, fresh off of a training camp over there with Johnny Hendricks trying to work on his takedown defense. Going up against uh, Kyle Dawkins. we got minus 170 on Holland and plus 150 on Dawkins. I'll actually let you kick this one off, brother, in terms of we know there's a giant flaw in Kevin Holland's game, which hasn't really been exaggerated this much uh, until his last two fights. Obviously, Derek Brunson and then Marvin Vittori had tremendous success dragging this fight to the ground. Uh, you know, black belt in jiu-jitsu, but you don't really see much of it off of his back. Like, it seems like he does a decent job in terms of getting back to his feet at times, but it seems like he's a little bit overzealous in terms of trying to lock up a submission off of his back, but he's just not offensive with it enough. Kyle Dawkins, yeah. decent G BJJ guy himself, but I feel like if this fight is on the feet, Kevin Holland should be able to have a field day. It's all about that takedown yeah. defense. How do you feel about this fight? 
So, uh, you know, I worked with Kevin not too long ago and the big thing we worked on, this is about almost about a month ago, maybe less, okay. but um, was, was his cage control, making sure that he understands his cutoff points and keeping center cage control, never giving his back up to the cage, never kind of getting lulled to sleep. And all of a sudden now the, the cage is now turned where your back's to the cage. And it's now like that up. warning track that just stay, stay away from that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, but how do you, how do you cut it off correctly? And a guy like Kevin with his style, He's able to hit from both stances, so you're able to you're able to hit from orthodox southpaw. But that helps you understand when how to sit your cutoffs correctly. You're never chasing guys or always cutting off your cage. All the while, you always want to maintain center control of your octagon and use your length and your range. Um, so you know, obviously, if you're Dacus, you got to try to you got to try to throw that fastball at him. You got to try to take this guy down and see how his improvements are. You know, because that's 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 what I think everybody's going to be known. For. You have to do it. Um, so for me, if I'm Dawkins's camp, I think I come out and I show level change. The level change is going to help me set up my striking because Kevin's going to be guessing underhooks, right? So you got to show level change. That's going to set up any of your your uh, overhands, your uppercuts, and things of that sort. But um, you know, I got to go with my man Kevin Holland. I think this is um, this is a good bounce back fight for him. It makes a lot of sense, and uh, I think he should go out there and get the finish. To be honest with you. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Kevin Holland myself. Um, I, I need to see him kind of improve that takedown defense myself first before I'm able to go out there and put some money on him, especially at the chalk odds that he's currently at. If he's yeah. able to successfully keep it on the feet, I think he has a field day, honestly, with Kyle Dawkins, who, you know, tough kid, don't get me wrong, had a very good fight with Brendan Allen in his UFC debut. Obviously, he won that fight over Dustin Solskjaer last time around. But again, on the feet, clear mismatch, in my opinion. And I do like call, uh, Kevin Holland side of things. I'm staying away from it all in all, though. I, you're yeah. not getting a dime of my money on that fight. It's tough, man, because I think a lot of people, you know, laid it on him when he when he fought. Uh, um, it wasn't Marvin the fight before that with Derek Brunson. A lot of people. I cast were on him. Just saying, I just want to say, right? I cast. <laughs> a lot of people were on him for that fight, and, yeah. and and you know, we just stylistically, how does it look when you're fighting a, a high level grappler like that? Exactly. All right, let's move on to the main event. Tiago Santos going up against Johnny Walker. Should be absolute fireworks here. We got minus 145 on Tiago Santos, plus 125 on Johnny Walker. And if I'm not mistaken, you're a little bit familiar with Tiago Santos, are you not? I believe Yana Kunitskaya, uh, you know, uh, fiance, wife at this point in time. I'm not sure if they got officially married at this point, but obviously expecting a baby and stuff together. Very much looking forward to this fight in terms of if Tiago Santos can get things back on track. Obviously, it's been a little bit rough for him. Alexander Rackets last time around where it just didn't seem like Tiago Santos could really get anything going. He was stuck, like you are saying, with, with the, the Kevin Holland breakdown. He was stuck behind that warning track and just couldn't get anything off. And it just mm -hmm. seemed like the feints of Rackets were all he needed to kind of keep uh, Santos on the outside and then just did a little bit of work with some kicks and, and some work and then obviously dragging the fight to the ground when he's able to. Uh, the fight before that as well, too, with Glover to share. A very tough fight. Had Glover in all sorts of trouble so many times, but then Glover with that, that mean streak about him, that veteran savvy post through, and then obviously finishes him later in that fight. Not to mention that was his return from a complete ACL re reconstruction, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So very tough fight to come back to, uh, especially a five-rounder against a guy like that. But I feel like this is a, a spot for him to go out there and turn it around here against Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker obviously spending the majority of his camp over there in Ireland with SPG. John Kavanaugh is going to be cornering him this weekend. Uh, but it just seems like he's one of those fighters that's like round one or round two KO or bust kind of right. guy. Because after that, he starts to slow down. He starts to get defensively, you know, 
uh, irresponsible, if that's what you want to call it. It seems like he's quite hittable, and his durability just doesn't really seem to be there anymore. Thiago Santos, much more disciplined with his striking. I feel like he should be able to eat some shots from Walker, return with some fire, and then eventually find that kill shot probably in the first, maybe even second round of this fight. I know this is hella square and super, you know, novice to do it this way but i'm parlaying the fight doesn't go to decision at minus 500 I, like give me that give me carol hosa like let me throw those into a parlay i feel like you're getting some decent money there maybe even throw douglas silva deandrage to that you should get some good money there too i don't see this fight going to decision and if you tell me that tiago santos is winning this fight by decision i might just have to kick you out of the stream but <laughs> how do you see this fight going down man i like tiago santos i think you'll get him out of there but what can you share with us for this fight man the, the, so you look at you look at the way johnny walker attacks and then you look at the way Tiago Santos check hooks, right? Oh, this yeah. guy, this guy can check hook. And we saw what he did to Jan Blahovic. We saw what he does in a lot of his knockouts. He dropped Glover Texera a few times with check hooks. So when you sit, when you talk about a guy who comes darting in with a little reckless with his chin up, you got to watch that check hook and the way you're approaching coming through that, that midline zone. Um, and that's the thing that I think when I see a, a, a Santos KO, I think it's by check hook. Now he does a great job of setting up a lot of his stuff off of his kick to the liver. Um, you know, I know, I know uh, Johnny's more of a southpaw, but kind of switches stances here and there. But um, uh, you know, for me, when you see a guy like Santos, he's not too worried about the Johnny Walker ground game. That makes all of your kicks available. So in a five round fight, we all know it's not going five. But in a five round fight, you definitely want to try to chop the lead leg. You want to chop away at the body. But that's going to set up a lot of your head work as well. So I can see him kicking the crap out of his body and then using that as his path to get into the head. Um, but if Johnny Walker comes darting in a little reckless and that chin's up, this dude is a check hook sniper. I like it. I like it. So it could be a counter that we're seeing here from uh, from from Tiago that should be able to end the night of Johnny Walker in this instance. Uh, I I love that. I love that breakdown here for sure. Tiago Santos needs to get back onto the winning track. I, I know he's up there in age as well, shy of I think thirty nine years old, thirty eight years old. So if he wants to get anything going, now is the time to do so. And I think getting a win over Johnny Walker this weekend will definitely allow him to. So before I let you go, Eric. Uh, what would you say is your safest play? Or I like to call it, obviously my brand is lock of the night. So what would you call your main main bet here? Like what would you put your not the house on, but a responsible amount of money on? <laughs> oh man, that's a that's a good one. I would say the uh the Rosa girl against Betch, you know. I think I think to me that just with the weight cut miss, um, the simple fact of it's a retirement fight, all those things compiled in. It's just like, you know, almost she's kind of just there to get a paycheck and, and get out. She might give you a, a tough first round, you know, but once you start questioning why you're here, why am I continuing to do this? Um, you know, I think the Rosa fight stands out the most to me. Um, if I were to go with the parlay, I would put I put um, Rosa in there. You know, I got to go. I got to throw my girl Casey O'Neill in there. I know it's a wild card. <laughs> I was expecting that. I, to, I was expecting I got that. To. Um, I think Kevin Holland and, and Santos are all are all pretty good good plays, but I get where betters would be weary about throwing Kevin Holland in anything right now because of that the wrestling side of stuff. But uh, I think I think he's going to write the ship in this fight. Awesome. I like it. Personally, I haven't pulled the trigger on my lock and then I play yet, but it will more than likely be the fight doesn't go to the decision for the main event parlayed with either Douglas Silva, Diodraj, or if I can get a solid line on Carol Hossa to bring that parlay odds 
to below minus 200. That's probably what I'll be putting my money on this weekend. I do think Andrade is going to be much better than what Perella brings to the table and should be able to get him out of there in the second and third round. All right, Eric, I greatly appreciate you joining me on this Friday evening. Is there anything you want to say on the way out here to the viewers? We have about close to 200 live viewers watching at the moment right now. And we'll probably get closer to four to 5,000 viewers by the time the fight kicks off. Anything you want to say on the back end, brother? I love it. Just don't give me any shit if you lose money and I'll screw up your bets. Exactly. I love it. Or give me all the shit you want. I don't care. That's all good. Don't worry. I'll I'll drop Eric's Venmo in the description in case he wins (laughs) you money. You can maybe throw him a a buck or two for for the advice here. Yeah. Don't expect me to send it back your way if I'm losing money. (laughs) We want a refund, Eric. All right. uh, Everybody, appreciate you guys joining uh, us on behalf of myself and Eric. Appreciate you guys joining with us on this Friday evening. Good luck on your bets tomorrow. And I will be back at 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow for the Fight Day Live chat, taking all questions, comments, and concerns for the last minute bets that you guys want to make on the fights tomorrow. So make sure you guys check that out. Otherwise, good luck on your bets. And I will see you guys next week.